everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, March 1st, 2020. After all of this hoopla, after all of this time, Colin just decided to give the money back to Devon. Just out of the goodness of his heart and out of the regret in his soul and out of the love that he has for Jill, Colin just gives the money back. (laughs) Is this a decent ending to you? Does this spell decent ending to the story for you? YRChat.com. That is our poll question of the week. You tell me, and now I'm going to tell you. No! (laughs) No, this is not a decent ending. These writers are the ones that started it, and this is their ending. They bothered to have Colin grift Devon out of his two billion dollar Catherine Chancellor legacy inheritance. They bothered to do this. They dragged Kane's character into this. They destroyed Kane's credibility. They wrote the guy off the show and they also dragged Amanda, who was new at the time, into this story. And then they never showed Devon struggling for money. They never showed Kane following up on his pursuit of his father. They barely mentioned Colin at all. And then one day... Out of the blue, (laughs) apparently, Colin just decided to open up an offshore bank account in Devon's name, and then he just kerplunked all of the money into it. Not even a penny missing. He returns the money in full. Sending Devon a text message that says, her, her, I guess money can make a person crazy, mate. Is that it? Is that what you've got? <laughs> Wyatt is that the best you've got? And now Devon doesn't even want to press charges? So is that it? Is, is that it? Because if that's it, then I am going to stand up out of my chair right now. I'm going to open up my front door. And I'm going to walk out into the sunset forever. (laughs) You are never going to see or hear from me again. Okay, five years from now, some fuzzy photo of me is going to surface on the internet. 
I'm at the IHOP in Tupelo serving hash browns, wearing a wig and plastic glasses and calling myself Marge because that's it. (laughs) If this is it, if this is the end to their story of Devon losing all of his money, then that means that there was no point. There was no plan all along. And if there was no point and no plan all along, then what in the hell am I doing here? (sighs) Chance is very cute. Chance is very cute. I guess that's what I'm doing here. (laughs) Just soaking in all of the hotness. (laughs) I just need to stop seeking deeper meaning when there is none. I'm just going to keep soaking in the hotness. That'll get me through. Chance does have a 70s TV vibe, like TV movie vibe that is very appealing to me. I like it very much. And the actor really delivers his um, short military dialogue in a very convincing way. Affirmative. (laughs) I like Chance I'm not going to hold it against him that he is not Kane because I do like Chance and I think Chance is a funny matchup with Kevin because Chance goes by the book whereas Kevin likes to go around the book (laughs) So they're a fun pair. And Kevin was very jealous of Chance when they first kind of teamed up this week. Chance and Chloe were quite an item for a hot minute several years back. So I liked that Kevin is seeing himself as sort of, he's always kind of this quirky sidekick to Chance's big military you know, traditionally sexy man, and Kevin's kind of the offbeat ducky. She wants ducky, not the big sexy military man. (laughs) And Kevin seems secure in that, so I'm happy with him, and I liked seeing them working together this week twice. First was when Chance needed to enlist Kevin's help to... Figure out Colin's mystery numbers. He sent a string of numbers to Devon's cell phone via text message. You know, if Colin just wanted to give Devon's money back, then why all the mystery? Why the puzzle? Oh, that's right. YNR explained that. What am I thinking? It's because Colin wanted to maintain some plausible deniability. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sure. <laughs> I am also sure that the federal worldwide manhunt for Colin that we've been led to believe has been going on for months now, I'm sure all that will end now. 
since Devon is just cool with it all. <sighs> I'm fine. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. The second time that Chance and Kevin worked together this week was a little more pleasant. It was when Chance asked Kevin for his help taking care of a private project, which we know is going to be stealing slash erasing that recording that Phyllis has of Adam and Chance talking in... Vegas! You know, this totally blows my theory, by the way, that Chelsea is the mystery woman. <laughs> because if I think that YNR is going to come up with some really creative and smart tie-in for the whole everything that happened in Vegas, then I, I'm, I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> if this was the best they could do with everything having to do with Devon losing his money and Colin, then I should not expect anything spectacular for a Vegas tie-in. I could just forget about it. This might as well spell the end of it. Chance is going to grab that footage and then bada-bing, bada-boom, that's all gone now. We're just to forget about Vegas. <sighs> That's the reason he's going out of his way. I'm surprised Chance is going out of his way. I assumed Phyllis would hold on to that recording and continue to use it as leverage forever. But Chance is going to work with Kevin to get that footage back. You know, to save himself, to save Adam. And I feel like it's pretty obvious that Chance doesn't like how much of a thorn that Phyllis has become in his girlfriend's side. Although, I gotta tell ya, Abby, Abby, this girl can take care of herself. I am impressed. I am really, really into Abby this week. She pulled a massive power move. She decided to sell her shares of the Grand Phoenix Hotel to Phyllis. So Abby has just given Phyllis everything that she wanted. And in the process, Abby frees herself of this partnership with a woman she can't stand. And then for the cherry on top of the cake, Abby announces that right after she's done selling these shares in, the, in this hotel to Phyllis, Abby is going to construct her own hotel. She has just bought the property next door, and she's going to remodel it, open it up, and let that be a competition for the Grand Phoenix Hotel. Let that be competition for Phyllis. Only Abby says her hotel is going to be bigger and better and more modern. And it's not going to have any of the baggage that the Grand Phoenix has. Like mass druggings, hostage situations, and lawsuits. Lawsuits, which by the way, Phyllis brought Upon herself. <laughs> oh, man. It was the exact right 
move. It was ex the exact right move for Abby to make for herself. Phyllis was never going to give up. And Abby's life was, be was going to become more and more miserable. Phyllis is ruthless. Phyllis actually collected a group of hotel guests who were staying at the Grand Phoenix the night of the hostage crisis, and she prepped them and coached them and encouraged them to sue the hotel for pain and suffering. Phyllis actually coached people into suing the hotel that she had 50% ownership of. Phyllis was willing to hurt herself in order to hurt Abby. And that is not the kind of enemy you even want to have. It was just going to continue. Phyllis felt entitled to that hotel since long before it was built. That hotel represented victory and achievement and status and resurrection for Phyllis. And now she has it. And I am glad for her. But I also really want to continue to see Phyllis being challenged by Abby. Because I think that Abby presents Phyllis with a unique challenge. Phyllis and Abby have two totally different personalities. Two totally different approaches to conflict. And I think that's what makes Phyllis versus Abby a, a real good boxing match to watch. I mean, weeks and months ago, I think I would have said that Abby wouldn't be able to stand to go one round with Phyllis's fierceness. But Abby was a real force to be reckoned with this week, standing there in her pink power suit with the broad, puffy, pink shoulders. I was all over it. I was all about it. Bring it on indeed. It has been brought. <laughs> I hope that Abby really does open up a competing hotel. And I hope that we actually get to see it. I think we need to get construction up and going on this new hotel tomorrow. Like, let's have that sucker built by spring. I really appreciated Abby's explanation to Amanda on Friday about why having her own empire is so important to her. Abby acknowledged that she was given a leg up in life. She doesn't deny that. She doesn't deny that she was born into money and power. But Abby wants to create something that no one gave to her and that no one can take away from her. It's hers. It's entirely of her own making. You know, I think that all of Victor's children have had to find their own way in life. All of Victor's children have this large, looming shadow of a very powerful father. 
I think Victoria always knew that she wanted to follow in her father's footsteps.、Uh, I think Victoria always knew that she wanted to take over Newman Enterprises someday. That's been a part of Victoria's identity for as long as I can remember. Nick, I think, always knew that he didn't want to follow in his father's footsteps. Nick just didn't have the temperament for it. It wasn't true to his identity. Whatever Victor did, I think Nick wanted to do the opposite. Nick hasn't been involved in the Newman Enterprises business for quite some time, so accordingly. Whatever Victor decides to do with his business is really none of Nick's business, and so that brings me to Adam. Adam is somewhere in between Victoria and Nick on the ambition scale.、Um, like Victoria. I think that Adam wanted to run Newman Enterprises pretty much from the first day that Victor brought him in. But like Nick, Adam didn't want to follow in Victor's footsteps as a means to do it. I think Adam wanted to make his own footsteps. I think that Adam had something unique and different to prove to Victor, since Adam wasn't raised by Victor, and so now here we are. Adam has an opportunity. He's been presented with an opportunity, and make no mistake, Adam is fully aware of this opportunity. Adam doesn't want to seem opportunistic. But he is seeing an opportunity. Chelsea actually read Adam's mind early in the week, and she tells him she knows he's thinking about trying to jump back in at Newman Enterprises while Victoria is indisposed. And Chelsea tells him to go ahead and do it. He has her blessing. By the way, Chelsea also tells Chloe this week that she's been kicking around the idea of starting up her own business again, maybe a new company, maybe with Chloe involved. Maybe they can work together again and build a brand new design company. I love it. I hope that we end up seeing that. Chloe's certainly not going to stick around and work at the Grand Phoenix with Phyllis. And if we're going to keep Chloe around a little more, I think it's a good opportunity. In quotes, opportunity. That seems to be the word of the week. It's a good opportunity to maybe start something new. So here we are with Adam and Chelsea, both in a place to pursue. Whatever opportunities present themselves, Victoria is awake. Victoria is out of her coma. She's going to be physically fine, but Doctor Nate says she's gonna need a little time for emotional recovery. <laughs> she's gonna live, but she's got a ways to go to recover emotionally. You know.
emotionally. You know, something that I'm sure Victor sees as having no place in business. Emotions. So Victor's in double crisis mode right now. He is worried about Victoria, but he's also worried about his company and his legacy, which we just got done celebrating. But Victor's retired. He has embraced the idea of being retired. He can't just jump back in full time and full speed after being out for so long. Plus, Nikki's not going to have it. I mean, day one of Victoria being in the hospital, Victor started worrying about the business, thinking he was going to go stop by the office and check on things, and Nikki had a fit. She was not going to let him do that. She likes this new version of her husband, and she intends to keep him that way. So here's where Adam comes in. There are no other Newmans left who want to wear the crown. (laughs) If Victoria's indisposed and Nick doesn't want it, who else is it going to be? So if Adam stays on good behavior... And if Adam just keeps reading sports scores to Victor and being a kinder, gentler guy, and if Adam keeps promising to do things Victor's way, temporarily, until Victor returns, then, of course, Victor's going to put Adam in the chair. And, of course, everyone's going to make a big stink about it. I mean, it's not really their decision, though, is it? Victor owns the company, and if Victor trusts Adam enough to give him the keys to the kingdom, if Victor trusts that their relationship has evolved enough, then what's the problem? Well, I guess the problem lies (laughs) with what happens as soon as Victoria is well enough to return to the company. Jack had an interesting conversation with Adam this week, warning him that, hey, you go ahead. I encourage you to help out with the family company when help is needed. But if your intentions are pure then you will need to relinquish the chair, relinquish the crown, as soon as you are asked to. You know Adam is not going to relinquish that crown. (laughs) There's no way. He's not going to want to, and he's not going to have to. Victor wants Adam in that chair. He wants Adam to stay there. Adam's not going to have to do anything extra in order to stay around after Victoria is well. Victor wants his progeny competing with each other to rule the world and to win the prize of his love and approval. Victor Newman has had to fight for everything that he has in life, and he expects nothing less of everyone else. Sharon stops by to see the family after her chemo treatment at the hospital. It's interesting how everyone else had to fight hard to get Nikki to step away from Victoria's bedside for even a few moments. But 
Nikki actually offered to leave to drive Sharon home. Hmm. Wow. Oh, how kind. The way that um, Nikki was reading to Victoria while she was in her coma and just putting on a little bit of lip gloss under her daughter's lips. I mean, it, that's such a simple kindness. So lovely to see. And also lovely to see that that kindness was being extended from Nikki to Sharon, too. I think that Nikki wanted to talk to Sharon. I think that Sharon's cancer started to immediately weigh on Nikki from the moment that she found out. And so I think Nikki had some things she wanted to say. I think that Sharon had some things that she wanted to say. Sharon needs somebody in her life that she can complain to. Everybody else is being a cheerleader for Sharon. And I'm sure that being around those people makes Sharon feel like she has to follow suit and she has to be a cheerleader. And I kind of like that with Nikki, she, I don't know, Sharon can just say, Ugh, I don't really even feel like getting up off the couch right now, <laughs> you know? That was such a good scene. I think everybody needs a friend that they can be honest with. I mean, Ray is her lover. Ray is her partner. Of course, she can be honest and should be honest with him. But there's just something about having, like, a girlfriend that you can be blunt with. I think that's really needed, and I think it would be really cool if Nikki and Sharon ended up becoming actual friends out of this. Like, in the same way that Victor and Jack became friends after all of the years of rivalry. Wouldn't it be great if after all the years of rivalry, Nikki and Sharon actually were in each other's orbit on a more frequent basis? I mean, they could go shopping together! They could be hostessing events together. Ah, oh, dare I dream? Maybe they could even open a business together after Sharon is all well. How about a party planning company? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Nikki and Sharon having a party planning company. <laughs> catty with one another, but there would also be this undertone of friendship and balloons. Billy does tell the kids this week that mommy's been hurt and she's in the hospital. Um, Nick asked Sharon to stopped by the ranch while Billy was there telling the kids and just check on him, check on them. I mean, that's kind of inappropriate and nosy for Nick to do that. Um, they're still Billy's kids. He still has a right to see them. And if that's where they're comfortable, then that's where they should be. I didn't blame Sharon, though, for getting in there and trying I thought Sharon had a pretty good relationship with Billy, but Billy seemed to really resent her presence there. He told her that he really didn't want to hear anything she had to say. He did not want to hear Sharon's psychological mumbo-jumbo. That's what he called it.
It's weird because last I remember, Sharon and Billy were kind of bonding over that psychological mumbo-jumbo. They seemed like they were in a similar place. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wondering if that's a sign. Maybe, um, you know, in spite of Billy's attitude towards Sharon in that scene, I wonder if there are going to be some heartfelt conversations there between them in the future. I mean, Sharon is someone who is going through a fight for her life. And maybe she could be in a position to help Billy fight for his. Billy has paid a series of visits to Victoria in the hospital this week, and he is like an outlaw in those halls. Um, He's having to sneak in and out to see her. I am surprised that the guard that was standing outside of Victoria's hospital room was not instructed to not let Billy Abbott in there, but he apparently wasn't. I mean, the guard was right there the whole time. Saw Billy go in and out. Didn't say a thing. Oh, well, I am just relieved that nobody thinks that Billy stabbed Victoria. I am relieved that Amanda stepped up right away, said she knew who did this. She knew it was Ripley. Billy had nothing to do with it because that story could have gone another way. Billy could be in jail right now, suspected of stabbing Victoria. So I'm really glad that it didn't go in that direction. But there is still a ton of blame that's being heaped onto Billy for this. And I think that Billy is standing at the front of that line blaming himself. Billy is wrought with guilt. Billy feels guilty for what he's done to Victoria and to the kids. And there was this scene early in the week where Billy goes back up to the hotel rooftop and he's just sitting there on the edge, on the ledge, and he's looking down at all of the cars going by underneath him. And I thought, is he thinking of jumping? I mean, is he that far to the edge? I don't know. He didn't jump, but was he thinking of jumping? Or was he just pondering the meaning of life? Pondering what this living on the edge has done for him? Was he realizing in that moment that what he wants at the end of all of this is Victoria? I don't know, but... After that rooftop scene, he went right back to the hospital and he sat by Victoria's bedside and he told her that he loves her. I don't know if that translates to, I want you back, but he told her that he loves her. And right as Victoria is coming out of her dramatically induced, I mean medically induced coma, she sees Billy right there at her bedside, takes one look at him and says, get away from me, don't touch me. I thought that was interesting. 
Because Victoria had no idea what had happened to her. Nobody seems to want to tell her, which I find infuriating. Somebody just tell her. She's asking the questions. I don't like the whole, oh, you just rest now. You don't need to be worried about it. If I am coming up out of that medically induced coma, somebody better start filling me in fast. (laughs) But I think it's telling that Victoria was so groggy and so confused in just that small moment. And her first instinct upon opening her eyes and seeing Billy was, get away from me. Nikki stomps in there. She welcomes Victoria back, but she also takes Billy out into the hallway and gives him a piece of her mind. Nikki tells Billy that he is making dangerous decisions. He is out of control. He needs help and he needs a meeting or something. It's pretty much all the same thing that everyone has been telling Billy all along. And you know what? For the first time, Since this story began, I was kind of understanding Billy's perspective here. And maybe that's how I'm supposed to feel. Maybe that's how the writers want me to feel toward Billy at this point in the storytelling. But what I can't get past is this. I don't see how Victoria getting stabbed was Billy's fault on any plane of existence. Ripley wasn't connected to, for instance, one of Billy's gambling debts. Ripley was connected to Amanda and being friends with Amanda, however that friendship came about and evolved, doesn't qualify as dangerous behavior that requires counseling or a meeting. Billy was just friends with Amanda. Or even if you, even if you, let's say you believe that Billy and Amanda were hooking up, it's not related to Victoria getting stabbed. But now it's happened and it's really more of a horrible freak accident. And Nearly everybody is telling Billy that it's his fault. And Billy's so rocked with guilt that he's starting to believe that it's his fault. And I think this right here is a good example of Billy's problem in a nutshell. Billy can't think for himself. He can only ever be whatever someone else is telling him to be. Victoria is telling him he's a good boy, so he is a good boy. Phyllis is telling him that he's a bad boy, so he's a bad boy. Jill is telling him that he's John Abbott Jr., and so he tries his best to be John Abbott Jr. Jack tells him he's an executive, so he tries to be an executive. Maybe the reason that Billy was trying to break free from his life was because he started to realize that his life wasn't his own. And look, you're not going to get any argument from me that Billy did a monumentally 
crappy job of coming to that conclusion and of making decisions around it. He lied. He snuck around. He played games. But Victoria getting stabbed by Ripley had nothing to do with any of that. So for Billy to have gone through this whole journey that he's been going through for the last several months, for him to go through all of that only to come back to the conclusion that he loves Victoria, that is actually unsettling to me. I need Billy to follow through on his epiphany. Even if I didn't agree with it, I need him to follow through with everything he said for the last several months. Billy can go ahead and love Victoria for who she is, but Billy needs to accept that the relationship is over. He destroyed it because the grass was greener on the other side, so... He's better be moving along to the other side now. You can't go back. Let Victoria go. Let her heal. Find something else. Like a job. Jill told Billy this week that he needs something new to focus on. She has the great idea of asking him to start up a cutting-edge media division for Chancellor Industries. Oh, yes. (laughs) Man, I'm all for it. Chancellor Industries is the most boring company on the show. It's never really been exciting. I just imagine that all they do is push paperwork there. Maybe they make some copies and send some faxes. It's boring. So I love Jill's idea that we could make it exciting and give it to Billy to make something of his own. It would be good for Billy to have a project to focus on. He's no good in relationships. Give him a company. Give him a purpose. Give him something to give. Give himself confidence. He needs confidence. (sighs) I think it would be really cool if maybe even Billy's story intersected with Mariah's story. Because Billy could be starting up a media company right at the same time as Mariah is losing her job with Devon's media company. That would also give Mariah something to boost her confidence and give her some purpose now too. For the second time since she came to town, Nate has convinced Amanda to stay in town. (laughs) He was the one that convinced her to stay, to take his case. And now here he is again, convincing her to stay and keep her roots. Because after uh, everything that happened with Ripley... Amanda really wanted to run away. She wanted to go into hiding and maybe put up stakes in all Newtown trying to get away from this. And I think that Amanda also has developed some roots in Genoa City and she kind of wanted to save anyone who she cares about from more of this like t- blowback from this toxic relationship that she has had. She doesn't want anybody else to get sucked in, doesn't want anybody else to get hurt. She calls off 
her friendship with Billy this week, even though apparently at the beginning of the week he was still sleeping on her couch at night, but midweek she tells him that it's over. There's just nothing good that has come from their friendship. If it weren't for her, he would still be with Victoria right now, which I don't think is true. But she tells him that she just needs to do what she should have done before and they and call it off. They need to just stay away from each other. So I think that's the end of that. I can see Billy and Amanda eventually coming to, um, you know, better understanding and a better place. But I think that tightness is gone now. It's all being transferred over to Nate. Nate is Amanda's new man. Nate has been there making special trips to see her this week to convince her that what happened to Victoria is not her fault. And it's not. <laughs> it's not Billy's fault. It's not Amanda's fault. It wouldn't have mattered if they were having an affair. Ripley had the knife. Ripley stabbed Victoria. I mean... <laughs> I can't blame anyone else for someone's actions. It just doesn't make sense to me. But, I mean, honestly, if, if Devon and Elena are even starting to come around on it's not Amanda's fault, then, I mean, surely everyone else can see that, too. <laughs> When it comes to Amanda or for Billy. Devon and Elena were showing some real sympathy for Amanda and, and showing some understanding of her situation. They suddenly realized this week, what do you know, that maybe some of the secrecy around Amanda and her non-social media presence and everything that was inside of the Sinclair, comma, Amanda, green folder of mystery, all that stuff was not because she was working with Colin to steal Devon's money, but because she was dealing with a stalker. She's the victim here. Mm -hmm. Oh, the look on Devon's face, too, when he was realizing that, oh, maybe she wasn't trying to hurt me. Maybe she was hurt. Oh, oh. <laughs> Poor Amanda. So... Now we enter into, we're away from the side jaunt that was the whole Billy and Amanda and Ripley thing. <laughs> and thus we nudge Amanda slowly further into the direction of Devon and the Winters family. Sharon tells Mariah that now she can go ahead and tell Tessa about her cancer so that Mariah can have someone to open up to, someone that she can lean on. It's kind of a shame that that thought hadn't occurred to Sharon before now, because I think, unfortunately, the wedge between Mariah and Tessa is already quite large. Mariah does call Tessa to tell her and to lean on her and to talk to her girlfriend. And Tanner, again, answers Tessa's phone and tells Mariah that Tessa can't come to the phone because she's in the shower. Yuck! Yeah. That's so wrong. That's so personal. That's too personal 
for what is supposed to be a business and artistic relationship. So the next day, Mariah tries again. She is actually able to have a video call with Tessa. And in the middle of the video call, Tanner pops up onto the screen. Shirtless! And hogging up all of their private time talking about some cute social media photo that's gone out to the internet of him and Tessa together looking like the king and queen of hashtag tour life. I would kill him. If I were Mariah, I would either kill him or I would be on a plane right now just to surprise Tessa and also to assert my dominance over Tanner. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'd have to get up all in that and fight. But Mariah does the opposite. Huh. Mariah gets all introverted and paranoid. And Mariah actually asks Tessa if she's had sex with Tanner. Well, I, I mean, it was out of pure insecurity that that slipped out of Mariah's mouth. And then when Tessa is totally shocked and totally offended by the question, Mariah just recoils and hangs up the phone and starts declining Tessa's phone calls in a very immature way. This is a very mature relationship. There should be some more maturity there. I mean, when you're pledging your life to someone, can you really afford to be declining the phone calls? I don't know. I, it's, I'm feeling like, <sighs> wait a minute, Mariah. Ultimately, Tessa is not the one who has been withholding here. Tessa's been busy, and I'm sure that that's really frustrating for both of them. I'm sure that's really hard to make a long-distance relationship work when Tessa is operating on such an intense scale with this tour and all these people and this responsibility that is now heaped upon her. But... Mariah has been having these insecure feelings about Tanner for a while now, and Mariah has not breathed a word about it to Tessa. All Mariah had to say was that she was getting kind of tired of Tanner butting in to their private moments, and I'm sure that Tessa would have talked to Tanner about it. Tessa is stuck in this world right now, this un almost unreal world, where Tanner is the king. It's King Tanner. So Tessa is used to putting up with his antics. This is his chore. This is his world. She's just living in it. But I believe that Tessa would have put Tanner in his place and established some boundaries in a heartbeat if she had known that it was making Mariah uncomfortable. But instead, Mariah just chose to shut down. 
and Mariah is choosing to let Lindsay be the person that she's talking to. Mariah is choosing to let Lindsay be the person who is comforting her. And we got to ask ourselves, how much more comfort exactly is Mariah willing to let Lindsay provide? I have had a breakthrough. Oh, yes. I am no longer mad at Kyle. Yep, yep. I mean it. I really, truly mean it. I am releasing my anger. <laughs> and I am embracing our couple switch up. <laughs> I think that my turning point was that hot series of scenes in the CEO office where both Kyle and Summer were separately fantasizing about ripping his shirt open. <laughs> Buttons were flying across the room twice. <laughs> and that was the moment where I said to myself, Allie, we're going to be okay. <laughs> we're going to be okay. <laughs> I also really liked the anticipation of Theo and Lola hooking up and having their first date. I think Y&R must have known that Kyle and Summer just work on kind of a primal level. They've been together before. No need to go through the whole buildup, I guess. <laughs> but Theo and Lola... There's some newness there. There's some sweetness there that they can stretch out and play on and build on. And I'm glad that they're doing that. Uh, Theo and Lola bumped into each other this week, not at society. That's important because if Theo's just always hanging around at her work, it could get tiresome. I like that he bumped into her at the hotel on some neutral territory, and I liked that Theo was getting all tongue-tied, wanting to ask her out on a date, and I like that she knows that that's what he wants. It's fun! Lola knows that she can have Theo whenever she's ready, so I guess Lola is just busy getting ready. Two very, very sad bits of news this week. First, Lee Philip Bell, the co-creator of The Young and the Restless, has passed away. She, I think, was over 90 years old, which is pretty darn impressive. And I just wanted to take a moment here to acknowledge that this was a really wonderful gift that she and her husband Bill have given to us fans. There would not be a YNR to chat about every single week if it weren't for 
Lee and Bill and the Bell family. So I just wanted to quickly say that I'm just so sorry to hear that. I want to say that I am so grateful for this legacy that continues on today. No matter how much I want to get angry about the little things, um, The Young and the Restless is just such a wonderful gift. It has been, for me anyway, um, really it's been... Nothing short of transformative for my life growing up watching it and also as an adult doing this weird thing that I do every week, talking about it with you guys. So I'm very sorry to hear that. The other sad news, we seem to be inching closer to Dina's death. And I think that we all knew that it was going to be coming sooner or later. Um, There really is only one ending to everyone's story, um, and it is inevitable. So uh, we saw this week Jack telling Abby that Dina is not doing very well at all. She's not eating. She's low energy. She's spending more time being asleep than awake and then we also saw Jack call Ashley and tell her that it's time to come home so I'm preparing myself for some tears next week preparing myself to say goodbye to Dina Well, you gotta give the devil his due. (laughs) Right? That was our quote from last week. I honestly didn't think as many people were gonna guess it. There was a whole lot of talk about Victor Newman last week. So I knew that everyone would guess who we were talking about, but I was really shocked that as many of you guessed that it was Jill. Jill was talking to Jack. She was deciding that, you know, you gotta give the devil his due. He's had 50 years of accomplishments and you gotta acknowledge that. So, hey, congratulations, Superplex, Anna, Aaron, Shakona, Henry, Nancy, Sam, Phaedra, Dee, Victoria, Ron, Martha, Steph, Ambreen, and Kamna. wonder if everybody was just extra tuned into those episodes. I'm not sure. I really didn't think that one was going to be as easy, but apparently it was. Let's see about this one. Oh my God, look at this view from a hot air balloon. (laughs) There's something a little lighter for us. Who said that? Oh my God, look at this view from a hot air balloon. (laughs) If you think you know, you should go to yrchat.com to leave your guess. Get it right, and I will give you your shout out on next week's YNR Chat. Oh, how about a quick round of comments here? Gary says, oh no, Dina's not doing well at all. I have so much going on right now. This is the last thing that I need. I know it, Gary. I know. I feel the same way. I feel like I'm on a little bit of a, um, like a, 
emotional high wire here. <laughs> I'm nervous that next week is going to be sad and then it's going to push me off the high wire and then I'm just going to be sad and depressed. There's not going to be any way around the sadness and depression. There's going to be tears, even if they do some wonderful tribute with tons of flashbacks and lots of love and smiles and hugs. It's still going to be sad. There's no way around it. Oh, I don't know that there's anyone who's looking forward to this. Sandra says, why did Jack have to say that Dean is not doing well on Friday, leaving me very sad to hear this news and not pondering about it all weekend? Without trying to sound too harsh, I'd like to say that Y&R truly Drop the ball with the Dina storyline. Mal Young took this amazing, genuine, talented actress Marla Adams as Dina and wrote her into a corner. When Josh Griffith took the reins, I hoped that he and his team would concoct a story with regard to Dina's diagnosis, saying she was misdiagnosed or perhaps that she'd been drugged over a long period of time by Graham and her symptoms and side effects mimicked Alzheimer's. Any crazy idea... Anything to take away Dina's illness, I would have went along with it. Dina could have been a real matriarch for YNR, Sandra says. I agree. You know, I I have a feeling that they brought Dina on with the intention of doing this Alzheimer's story. I don't think they knew that she was going to be as impactful as she was. I mean, I think a lot of uh, us YNR fans went right when Dina first came on. I mean, there was just this big space on the canvas that we needed a grand dame to fill. And Marla Adams as Dina just fit right into it flawlessly. And they decided to go ahead with the Alzheimer's story, which in a lot of ways was a very impactful story. But I mean, for all of the places where they twist and turn something and make it kooky and crazy and who cares if it even makes sense, why they didn't decide to do that with Dina, I don't know. Um, maybe Josh felt that he didn't want the backlash of, of undoing something that was a, a really poignant and, uh, for a lot of people, um, a really present and, and relevant storyline for diseases that, you know, th they've had in their family. Maybe Josh didn't want to get sticky and, and deal with that, and now there's just no other place to go. That would be my best guess, but, I mean, anyway, you slice it, it's gonna be hard to watch, and it's certainly not what I think my preferred outcome for the character would have been. Laura says, can't handle Dina's, fa Dina's passing. Must fast forward. <laughs> Thank you in advance for any spoilers where Dina's concerned. I'll skim through and keep up here. Oh, I know. I know. There is... I, I almost wish. I almost wish I could just fast forward through it, but I can't. I'm going to have to endure every wound. And it is going to be quite some wounds. I wonder if it'll be next week or the week after. I mean, I don't know. I, I got a feeling it might be next week. This might be where we are. This might be what we're talking about. Top story next Sunday. Well, why don't we take a quick look at our poll results from last week. I asked you if you liked the Victor Newman 40-year tribute or 50 years of Newman 
40 years of Eric Braden, did you like the tribute? Uh, overwhelmingly, 90% of people really liked the episodes. Um, what do we got here? 10% of people saying that they were disappointed, wanting something a little more. But, I mean, I'd say 90% approval rating's pretty good for the for those episodes. Again, I mean, it really rests on the, uh, the, the talent and the time that's been put in by uh, Eric Braden. Braden. I mean, it really, really, truly was on his shoulders and on his challenge. And I mean, I had to say some of the best episodes that have come out of this writing uh, regime have been these special celebration episodes. Uh, we had one for Nikki last year. We had uh, Jack. Actually, that wasn't last year, but uh, that it was still this new writing team. We had the Nikki. We had the Jack. We had the Eric Braden. We had uh, also the tribute to Neil. Um, but, you know, I I mean, I'm not sure how many more of those this team is going to be able to get together. I mean, I'm sure that they were able to get some real great ratings last week. <laughs> but there's only so far that the old stories and the old flashbacks and, you know, riding those coattails is going to take them. I have concerns about this current writing team, and I have for quite a while. I don't remember ever being so dissatisfied with a writing team. And I don't know if it's me getting older and grumpier or something, or if this is just, like, a weird fit with this writer. I really don't know. I mean, I, I can't argue that I loved the episodes uh, themselves, though. I think that it was absolute slam dunk. I just would like to see some slam dunks and some current storylines too. Anna says she loved the, these episodes. They were they really celebrated Victor Newman. Um, Anna says I wish they would have had another episode with Eric Braden in an interview and the other actors playing tribute to him and his work. Yeah, I wonder if they did anything special like that um, anywhere else online. Um, sometimes YNR posts bonus material, although not enough of it, if you ask me. Uh, but maybe there was something like that, an interview with him. Um, but uh, yeah, that would have been nice, because they kind of did that with Kristoff, and had the other actors sitting down and talking about him, and it would really kind of would have been cool to do an interview-style type episode. But maybe they're afraid of breaking continuity too much for stuff like that. I don't know. Oh, well, Kamna says, okay, as much as I want to admire Nikki for being Mama Bear, I lost all respect that she didn't tell Victoria up front that Billy did not stab her. And while her lecture to Billy may be understandable, Nikki loves and lives with the biggest sociopath in Genoa City. You'd think she'd understand. <laughs> Uh, and Marianne V says, Nikki should have told Victoria Billy didn't stab her, that he's been trying to be there by her side. But when Victoria finds out Ripley mistook her for Amanda, she will be mad at Billy anyway for bringing Amanda into their life, even though they both looked so similar in the white dresses and ponytails. Yes, uh, Victoria, I think, along with everybody else, is probably just always going to see this as Billy's fault, whether we, the audience, think and know that that's true or not. I don't know. Is there anyone out there that does blame Billy for this? I wouldn't mind hearing that perspective this week. Is, is there anybody out there that feels like this is all Billy's fault? Do you agree with the Newman family? Um... This is interesting. Lisa115 says, I don't know if this is something that the writers overlooked, but when Hillary first came onto the show, she used the name 
Ann Turner. I was taking a break from the show then, so I don't know if that was her real name or, or an alias. But anyway, it makes me wonder if Ripley Turner has some connection to Hillary. It is probably just a coincidence, but it could be an interesting twist. Oh, Lisa! I never would have made that connection, but boy, if that's a coincidence, it's a pretty darn big coincidence. Uh, I believe that Ann Turner was Hillary's birth name. Uh, it was her given name, and um, then she changed it to Hillary Curtis uh, somewhere along the way, kind of a, a, kind of an alias. But uh, wow, what if? What if? I mean, YNR, I think, is about to bring this back around. I think the whole thing with Billy and the stabbing, I really think it was a sideline. It's pretty clear to me that they brought Amanda on to be involved in a triangle with Devon and Nate, and they took a little sidestep from it for a while. I mean, Amanda was kind of getting close with Nate for a while a couple months back. And then she jumped off. Now she's back on. So it just makes me feel like everything with Ripley was a little bit of a sidestep. Uh, but I think they're getting back into it now. I mean, they bothered to mention that she has uh, she, that she was adopted, that Amanda was adopted. And then they just never followed up on it. So they, they got to be getting there. I think it would be a really clever tie-in if they could connect Ripley Turner in with this. Which makes me think that they won't. <laughs> I just have to lower my expectations. Ugh. I hate having to feel like that, but I do. I just want to be honest. <laughs> oh, let's talk about good old Adam Newman. TB84 says, somehow I don't want Adam to run Newman while Victoria's lying in a hospital. Although I'm not angry at him anymore, and I actually like how he behaves lately. But somehow it's predictable to me. I mean, why him? Why Adam? Because he's the most qualified to do this, and he's done it before, blah, blah, blah stuff. I want to see someone else doing it. I mean, running the Newman Enterprises. I don't know who, but not Adam. Maybe Nicholas could do it, despite all of his resentment of running the family business. And I guess he's busy with New Hope, though. Still, it would be exciting and nice to see some unexpected decision-making. Uh, uh, and maybe create a rivalry between Nicholas and Adam. Uh, well, you know, that's interesting, because I, I guess I was having a little bit of trouble... Figuring out what was going on with that conversation between Victor and Nick, where they were talking about Newman Enterprises. Nick hasn't had anything to do with that business for a long time, so what's it matter to him if Adam is running it or not? I mean, maybe it's just Nick warning Victor on a personal level more so. But I'm kind of wondering, uh, after reading your comment, if what we're about to see is Nick deciding to go back to work at Newman Enterprises just so that he can keep an eye on Adam? I mean, it was left on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Like, Nick thought that Victor wanted him to run the company, and Victor said, no, I know you don't. So, well, then why are you running this by him? So maybe that's it. Maybe Nick's going to go back to work at the company, and Victor's going to be very pleased to have all three of his children running Newman Enterprises, Victoria, Adam, and Nick, working all together. All three of his children, you know? Minus the fourth one, Abby, the forgotten one. <laughs> Diana says, I like the storyline of Phyllis running the Grand Phoenix Hotel and being rivals with Abby, but... 
I can't help but feel like Phyllis needs more family in her life. Summer's busy with Kyle as they're back together again. Phyllis doesn't have a love life of her own, so it'd be nice to see Phyllis spending time with family members. Y&R could have Daniel and her granddaughter Lucy come for a visit, as well as Avery. It would give a sense of reality, as Phyllis has family other than Summer. And it would also be nice to see Phyllis putting her energy into other things besides Adam and Chance's business that really doesn't concern her. She didn't get to see her family at Christmas, so a visit is definitely due very soon. I also think that fans would enjoy greatly, uh, would greatly appreciate seeing these characters. Phyllis could use Avery's legal advice on the hotel and how to fight Abby um, in the, that rivalry that's begun. I like all of those ideas. I really like Daniel. I think he was a good get. And especially now that Kevin's back around, they were buds. They'd be a good pair to throw together, Daniel and Kevin. And Lucy, they could age her up. I like it. And you know I like the Avery part, too. I, we, we got teased a little bit um, several months ago that maybe Jessica Collins was going to be returning as Avery, but that didn't end up panning out. I sure would like it, though. Yeah, um, they really sure haven't uh, developed a whole lot around Phyllis's family lately. But, I mean, you know, this Phyllis just got back. Maybe they'll decide to. It was occurring to me, earlier uh, this week, too, that, boy, they never really developed a whole lot around Sharon's family, either. Someone at the website had mentioned Doris Collins, Sharon's paraplegic mother. Um, yeah, she kind of disappeared off the scene. She hasn't really been spoken of, but I, no one said that she's passed away or anything. You would think that maybe she might be involved in the story a little bit, as Sharon has... Um, developed cancer. Maybe she might have some questions for her mom or something. And they never, ever dug into Sharon's father. I think he was just a bad guy. I didn't, they just really didn't do much with that. So it's a, it's a little similar, isn't it, that uh, we have these very strong leading ladies. And honestly, I guess they've dug into Phyllis's past in the past a little more even than Sharon's. But yeah, I mean, I guess uh, Sharon has her her Mariah, and she has her Noah. She has her family that she developed on screen. Let's talk about Mariah. Consuela says, I don't know what to think about the whole Tanner-Tessa-Mariah situation. I can see both sides. I don't think Tessa has given any inclination that she's interested in Tanner or that they've had sex. So I think Mariah overreacted just a little bit. But I also think that Tanner has no boundaries. He's always inserting himself into Mariah and Tessa's conversation, and then he decides not to put on a shirt while Tessa and Mariah are video chatting. Like, really? <laughs> I know, it does make you wonder if this was targeted. Is Tanner doing this on purpose? But in terms of, um, you know, who's right and who's wrong in this situation, I agree with you that I can kind of see both sides. I think... Tessa is guilty of not establishing boundaries with Tanner, especially when it comes to these video calls and her phone and all of that. Although I don't even know if Tessa knows that Tanner's been answering her phone, but she darn well knows he was showing up shirtless on her video chats, and he's done that before. So I think Tessa is guilty of not establishing those boundaries, but Mariah is guilty of not being open and honest with her partner. So... So a little bit of a zig and a zag there. Oh, 
Well, let me give you an alternate opinion on this whole Colin and Devon's money storyline. Uh, Daisy says, I'm glad that Devon got his money back. And I think that Devon made a very compassionate decision letting Colin off the hook. It makes me wonder if Colin will try to get back into Jill's good graces, which will work because she has no willpower when he's around. But also, Devon has been very helpful, supportive, and generous with his money to both individuals and groups, which is one reason that Catherine chose him. That's who he is. Well, I am, of course, very happy that Devon got his money back. I just think it's a, it was a really crappy, scrappy way to end the story. I would have been okay with Devon choosing. I think we could have had both. We could have had Devon choose to not want to go after Colin, not want to make it any worse. But Devon doesn't just get to wish away the federal investigation that we were led to believe was going on. I think YNR could have shown Devon grateful for getting his money back and feel and showing mercy personally on Colin, like seeing Devon evolve to a place of forgiveness about the whole thing. That would have been fine and good, but I still kind of wonder what is would have wanted to see Colin get punished. <sighs> I don't think we're going to see him with Jill anymore. We had that wonderful scene, though, of Jill talking about her relationship with Colin and the way he made her feel alive. I mean, I really like Jill and Colin's relationship. I thought they made a very good match. Um, I, I like Colin. I thought he was he's charming and funny in just a smarmy kind of way. I didn't expect anything great or grand out of him. He was just a fun soap villain uh, to have around, and I thought he had some good chemistry with Jill, but I think it's done. I, I mean, just Walton doesn't clearly doesn't want to be on the show full time and she has other priorities so I don't think we're gonna see a Jill Colin reunion I think the Rose uh, was meant to leave that relationship on a positive note I think Jill was meant to have overall positive feelings about her time with Colin but I think she you know although she was feeling sentimental I think if left to make a decision today I don't think that Jill would ever take him back after what he's done this time but the, the other problem with this is that it still leaves a big old this this story resolution in quotes still leaves a big old hole which i believe will not be filled astra says so if devon is letting colin off the hook then what's going on with kane is he still going to be chasing Colin, or did he actually find colin and make him put the money back and can he come back to genoa city now if he's staying off canvas, I think we need a new reason for why he's not there. <sighs> there are so many questions. I think Wyatt just wants to forget about Kane. I think they just don't want to touch it. Maybe they'll bring him back. It's possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, they didn't even address Kane's connection to any of this at all. It's just the crappiest of the crappy endings that I could, I could possibly imagine. I mean, it is, it is literally, I think Chance said to Jill, the long and short of it is Devon got his money back. That was literally a line that came out of Chance's mouth. The, the, no, he said, the short of it is Devon got his money back. That's what he said when he was updating Jill. And I just thought... Really? So that's your whole man. That that was that must have just might as well have been what they wrote on the page. Short of it, Devon got his money back. Done. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody just move on. And fine, I'm sure I'll move on eventually. I always do. 
But for now, I would have rather it have just gone on indefinitely than for them to sweep it up into one episode in a really cruddy way. Would it be too much to ask just to bring Kane back for one episode? I got probably Daniel Goddard has got a bad taste in his mouth for this team. He probably wouldn't even want to come back to do an episode. I don't even know what's going on with him. He didn't ever pop up on Bold and the Beautiful. Um, so I'm not sure what the status is, but it's it, this is it's been bad from A to Z. Zuperplex says that 2.47 billion is a lot like Billy's smashed up sports car. Yep, I agree, Zuperplex. It's a lot like Billy's smashed up sports car because we never saw it. Not only did we never see the money, we never saw Devon struggling for the money. Frankly, Devon, his reaction was not great to me. Of course, Devon would be humble about the whole thing. Of course, Devon would eventually come to forgiveness. I mean, that is who he is, as Daisy says. Devon is good. He's, he is kind-hearted. He's going to be good with his money. He's very introspective, but I still wanted something. I mean, if, if uh, he was so angry when his billions got stolen, and then it was just poof, back to him in one day, and he was kind of like, meh. I guess I'll have to think about that, how I'm going to use this now. <laughs> there just should have been more. If, they, if they, they started it, why couldn't they finish it? It needed more. <sighs> I got to move on. I'm getting tired. Gary says, I think that Lola and Theo are the bee's knees. 1920. <laughs> but solely because I like the flirtatious way that Lola is handling scared Theo and whipping him around, rocking him. Wow. What's up with her? Rebound on steroids? <laughs> I think Lola and Theo are going to be really fun, too. And I also really like the way she handles him. Theo's a bad boy. And she has a really good way of, uh, of handling him. Well, hey, Janice says, I love the new Crimson Lights set. I only wish that we could have seen Sharon discussing the changes and uh, needed some different options with the decorator. Uh, it was nice to also see the Chancellor Mansion again. Now I'll set my sights on decluttering Jack's living room tabletops. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, first of all, I really love seeing more of the Chancellor Mansion. It's been a while since we've had that set up, but it was really great to be there. There's something about the Chancellor Mansion that just gives me warm and fuzzy feelings. And about Crimson Lights, I was real worried about it. I was afraid we were never going to see it again, or when we saw it, it was going to look completely different, but they did a great job. The Crimson Lights remodel officially gets my seal of approval. If I'm being honest with myself, Crimson Lights needed a refresh. It needed a facelift. The tables with like the tassel things all around the sides and the old chairs, it, it it was starting to look old. I think YNR did an excellent job. Uh, the set decorators, uh, set designers, they did an excellent job of just 
refreshing it while keeping all of its good characters. We still got the joke box. We still got the big eyes. We still got the weird ventriloquist doll. <laughs> we still got the kitsch. <laughs> but now when it comes to redecorating the Abbott Mansion, Janice, I'm sorry. I don't know about that. I will still never forgive Sharon for redecorating that Abbott Mansion when she and Jack were briefly married. So I don't know. I'm a little leery of that. I'm just still not over the mild changes that Sharon made to that set a decade ago. Oh boy, okay, everybody. Time for me to get going. I need to get some rest after all of this topsy-turvy turmoil that YNR has put me through next week and the turmoil that I anticipate coming next week. I'm going to rest up, try to reset my brain, try to find some positivity. <laughs> oh, because I think next week's going to be a hard one. Hey, if you need to talk about it while it's going down, go to yrchat.com. That's a good place to leave some comments through the week or leave some comments about YNR chat. Anything that you want to say, I do love hearing from you. And I'll see you again next week. I love you guys. I hope you have a really good one. Bye.